This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome back to another episode of the Diabetes Knowledge into Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who have had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. Today we're focusing on initiating GLP-1 receptor agonists and supporting patients to adhere to the regimen. When escalating therapy in type 2 diabetes, the EASD-ADA guidelines recommend giving an additional agent if the patient isn't meeting their glycemic target after around three months. As of 2018, the guidelines recommend that a GLP-1 receptor agonist should be attempted before advancing to insulin, and in 2019, it was also recommended that patients at high cardiovascular risk are given a GLP-1 receptor agonist or SGLT2 inhibitor independently of their glycemic status and their targets. But what happens after making the decision to initiate a GLP-1 receptor agonist? A 2019 review by Bruno Gerci and colleagues found that in type 2 diabetes, good persistence and adherence to treatment are associated with better glycemic control and fewer complications while low treatment persistence can result in insufficient glycemic control and a higher risk of morbidity and mortality. But the decision to initiate a therapy may be made based on safety and efficacy data collected in the setting of a clinical trial, while in real-world practice, medication adherence and persistence is typically much lower. So how can we maximise the chances of treatment adherence and persistence? Today we're discussing this topic with Professor Stephen Bain, who's Clinical Director of the Diabetes Research Unit at Swansea University and Medical Director for Research and Development for Swansea Bay University Health Board. You can find links to his disclosures and all the publications discussed in today's interview in the episode notes. So firstly, while we have data from head-to-head trials that compare the efficacy of different GLP-1 receptor agonists, there's also some evidence to suggest that once weekly formulations have better persistence and adherence than daily formulations. So how can we consider both of these factors when making the initial selection of a GLP-1? So I think when we're considering the use of injectable GLP-1 receptor agonists, we've now got three uh, easily available once weekly preparations, uh, two of which have got very good and easy delivery devices. And it's my understanding that uh, the two of them, which is dulaglutide and semaglutide are now by far the most commonly prescribed GLP-1 receptor agonist uh, when they're available in the uh, health market. I must say that my patients uh, they much prefer if they're going to have an injection, have it once a week rather than once a day. And there's also evidence that these uh, medicines are more efficacious than the previous uh, once daily GLP-1 receptor agonists. Interestingly, we've also got head-to-heads of the weekly GLP-1 receptor agonists. And the data that we have suggests that semaglutide is more efficacious in terms of uh, glucose lowering and weight reduction. However, the advantage of dulaglutide is the device, which uh, is very popular for those people who are not so keen on needles. And in what cases might you consider using an oral formulation versus an injectable and vice versa? 
So I think for specialist services that are used to prescribing GLP-1 receptor agonists, the choice between an oral versus an injectable is largely down to patient preference. So for those patients who are reluctant to consider injectable therapy, um, the progression to another oral therapy um, is preferable. Um, and I think they don't mind that it's a once daily versus once weekly preparation and the requirement to take the oral preparation 30 minutes before food, drink, or indeed other medications. I think for practitioners who are less confident about prescribing GLP-1 receptor agonists, then there's also the um, opinion of the healthcare professional becomes very important. So if you're not comfortable with initiating injectable therapies, and clearly having the option of an oral therapy, an oral treatment in the GLP-1 class is a major advantage. Is there a patient presentation that you find tends to result in the patient having a particularly poor adherence? And if so, how do you help to maximise their chances of good treatment adherence? So when, when we're using GLP-1 receptor agonists, I think we need to accept that many patients are going to experience side effects and that these side effects tend to be gastrointestinal related. So things such as nausea commonly, but less commonly even vomiting or, or diarrhea. So the important thing is to warn people that these symptoms may occur and that if they do, to reassure them that they will be transient, so they will disappear over time and that they are less likely if the dose of the GLP-1 receptor agonist that is initiated is low and then is gradually increased over time. And this can be extending the time period beyond that that would be routinely used. So for example, uh, instead of increasing over one month, then perhaps uh, increasing over a couple of months and then maintaining patients on the lower maintenance dose rather than escalating quickly to the the higher maintenance dose. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about an abstract that you presented at this year's EASD meeting, which was called Incorporating Treatment Pauses, Dosing Flexibility and Education to Support GLP-1 Receptor Agonist Therapy Persistence, and it was data from the Pioneer 6 trial. Can you briefly summarise the findings of the abstract? So Pioneer 6 was the pre-launch or pre-licensed cardiovascular outcome trial for oral semaglutide. So it's a safety study. Um, but the safety studies, the cardiovascular outcome trials, tend to be rather more pragmatic than other phase three studies. So this meant that in the study, we were allowed to uh, escalate patients' therapy less quickly if they got uh, adverse events, and we could reduce the therapy or even take them off therapy, trial therapy altogether for a period and then reintroduce it later. So this means that the trial is much more akin to what we see in real life. So an analysis was done looking at those patients who uh, experienced adverse events to see when they happen 
happened and also to see what was the outcome when patients had to stop taking treatment to see whether they could get back on it again. So what we discovered, uh, not to anyone's surprise, was that the adverse GI side effects are seen most frequently at the initiation and then the escalation of treatment. So in the pioneer study, this was over the first couple of months, but thereafter, the adverse events tended to uh, disappear and indeed uh, various periods during the study were no different from those individuals in the trial who received placebo. What we also found was that people who had to stop taking treatment, the majority of them only stopped it on one occasion and the majority of patients were able to reinstate treatment during the trial. And they were given advice warning them that they may get the GI uh, side effects are also advised to take smaller portions of food to avoid spicy foods and to also to avoid fatty foods. And using these techniques, it was possible to get the majority of uh, individuals back onto treatment over this study period. Now, this data was from a controlled clinical trial setting. So how can we translate these findings to real clinical practice? So I think we have to accept that Pioneer 6 was a clinical trial and therefore people in the trial were probably more motivated than the typical person with type 2 diabetes and indeed the staff who were conducting the trial would have more time and more effort would be put into making sure that uh, patients were compliant with their therapy. However, it was a trial that allowed various uh, manoeuvres and techniques to try and get people back onto the trial medication. And I think it's demonstrating that if we as clinicians are enthusiastic about getting the patients to take the medicines, then the patients for the, in their part can, can adhere to therapy better than is often the case in routine practice. So I think it's giving important lessons, but with the proviso that trials are slightly different to the real world. Great. And one final question, if I may. Um, what would be your key takeaway from the session for any clinician who wants to try and optimise adherence and persistence for their patients? I think the, the bottom line is that clinicians shouldn't be overly concerned about the GI side effect profile of GLP-1 receptor agonists. And so long as patients are fully up to speed with the expectations, the uh, likelihood that these side effects will disappear over time and that the benefits of treatment, both in terms of glucose lowering, but also the additional benefit of weight reduction in a substantial proportion of patients make it worth them committing to this type of therapy. In summary, when initiating a GLP-1 receptor agonist, clinicians should select one with a dosing regimen that suits their patient, as well as providing the patient with education on the side effects to be expected. By informing them of the side effect profile, as well as the usually transient nature of these and the potential benefits of GLP-1 receptor agonist therapy, patients will be better prepared, motivated to adhere to their treatment and will have maximised chances of treatment persistence. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast on your favourite app or recommend us to your colleagues. You can stay up to date by following us on Twitter at DKI Practice or connecting on LinkedIn. You can find links to these in the episode notes as well as all the references discussed today.